0: Road to learn to change, and it's it's just a part of what defines us as human beings. It's it's human to change. God wants us to change. He sent His Holy Spirit to help us change. And so I, I'm going to get right into this. That you can really change. You really can. Will this work? You know what? I forgot to turn it on. I'm sorry. My fault. Here we go. You really can't change. Turn to the person next to you and say, you really can't change. Now, don't say anything else. Like, don't tell them what they need to change. Or would you please hurry up? Or how come you haven't changed yet? Sometimes we want others to change more than we want to change ourselves. And a lot of times we want to change things around us more than we want to change what's in us. But the Bible talks a lot about change. I'm going to read you a few verses of Scripture. The first one in Jeremiah 26 and verse 13 from the message. He says, so do something about it. Change the way you're living. Change your behavior. Joel chapter 2 and verse 13 says, change your life, not just your clothes. Mm-hmm. Come back to God, your God. And here's why God is kind and merciful. He takes a deep breath, he puts up with a lot. How many agree God puts up with a lot? <laughs> the most patient God, extravagant in love. In the New Testament, Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. He was, uh, was living in the Galilean hills and John the baptizer was preaching in the desert country of Judea. His message was simple and austere like his desert surroundings. This is what John preached. Change your life. God's kingdom is here. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 6 says there at the Jordan River those who came to confess their sins were baptized into a changed life. Another passage in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. This one is of uh, Jesus. He says, I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. The real action comes next. This is John talking about Jesus. The main character in this drama, compared to him, I'm a mere stagehand. He will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. Mm-hmm. He's going to clean house, make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. How do you know that since you've come to know Christ, things have been changing? (laughs) That He came to change, and He sent the Holy Spirit to help you change. And uh, one more in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the message of God. And This is what he said. Time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life. And believe the message. Do we have faith for change? One of the scariest things that can happen in your life is to know you need to change or improve in some way, and then ten years goes by and you realize you haven't done anything about it. You haven't really changed. Maybe you made a few New Year's resolutions, maybe you took a couple stabs at it, maybe you read a book, maybe you asked for some advice. But I think that one of the scariest things that you could ever experience in life is for life to just go on and you don't change. If you know God, that never has to be the case. If you have the Holy Spirit present in your life, if you believe what the Bible says, the word of God is living and active and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. The, The Holy Spirit using the word always brings change. Wherever God is, things change. Because He always makes things better. Yeah. God came to bless our lives. He came to better our lives. He, he came to make us into right. the kind of human right. beings we're really meant to be. Right. Jesus came to get a, get rid of, help us get rid of that selfishness and all those self-focused tendencies that we have that keep us locked into things that right. only hurt us and people around us. And He came to free us from all of that so that we can really right. become like Christ. Yeah. Be loving the way He's loving and kind the way He's kind and holy the way He's holy and, and and this is the process that God has us in as we follow mm-hmm. him. Yeah. So I want to say just a few simple things about uh, change today. What, what is it that we should change? What are some, oh, here's another verse in Corinthians. I forgot I put that one in. With unveiled faces, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, transformed into that same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. How many want to be like Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, this amen. verse says it's the Holy Spirit's job to make that happen. Isn't it great? Isn't it part of the good news that God doesn't stand back waiting for you to change yourself so he'll like you? He comes to you and says, I like you, so let me help you change. Uh Right. (laughs) That's the good news, isn't it? I like you. Let me help you change. Here's my Holy Spirit. Here's the power of my blood. Here's the power of my word. Now, let's go for it. Let me make you into the kind of person that I, I want you to be. What kind of things should we work on changing? I forgot, I put in the first law of uh, motion by Isaac Newton. Think about this in relation to your life. Everything continues in a state of rest unless it is is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. How many know that if the Holy Spirit doesn't help us, we're just going to sit here? I don't mean just sitting in the theater. I'm talking about just staying where we're at in life and nothing really changing or improving. How do you know the Holy Spirit is that dynamic that gets us to go beyond where we are to actually get some momentum and some motion going in our life to move us into where God wants us to be? Here's uh, some things to change. How about our character? We have character qualities that need to improve. The Holy Spirit will always be working on those. How about habits? You ever realize there's a habit that you really need to change if you're really going to be more useful to the Lord and if you're going to hear from God like Glenda was just talking about there's there's habits that need maybe our prayer life maybe the way we read the word maybe just the way we see people around us maybe there's some changes there to our habits our thinking ever get some thought patterns that aren't healthy that, that don't help you and sometimes we have to change our thought patterns so that then our life can change the Bible talks about the renewing of our minds another one is our attitudes but let's not talk about that sometimes it's pretty tough to change your attitude and yet if you change your attitude, everything changes your view, your perspective, the way you feel about things, it all changes well, I want to just share with you in the next few minutes just a few thoughts here of how to change the first one is we have to recognize our need for change if we don't think we need to change, we probably won't time just goes by and life and circumstance you know just keeps happening we got to kind of wake up at some point say you know what I really want the Lord to change this about me and that's obvious that's often just a response to the Holy Spirit's conviction when uh, Glenda and I got married her father was a uh, railroad engineer and so I remember the first time I visited him in Kansas City and and uh, we went there and I got to go out on a run with him you know and he was driving trains at night and so it was it was kinda cool being around it's so kind of my boyhood fascination with trains and all that stuff. I mean what little boy doesn't like trains, you know? But now you know, now I'm a young man wanting to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage, you know, but it's like be nice to the railroad engineer, you know. But anyway I got to be on this train with him, ask him questions, you know, and, and so I got to be around trains a fair amount. And have you ever... Now, I'm an inquisitive kind of guy, and you just got kind of have to bear with me to take you on a little mental journey here. Um, have you ever wondered why the railroad tracks are so narrow? Have you ever seen a train hurtling down the railroad tracks and just swaying back and forth? And, and you know, my father-in-law was telling me about how many tons, you know, each car and, and you know, the the... the the diesel engine he was driving at the time, you know, and all this stuff. And it just seemed to me like, you know, these tracks, if they would just make the tracks wider, the train wouldn't just sway back and forth so much. Well, so I I asked him, I said, why don't they make railroad tracks wider so that the trains can carry heavier loads and go at faster speeds and be safe? And he said, I don't know. So I decided to look into it. Do you know the the railroad tracks are four feet eight and one half inches wide? Who came up with that number? Four feet eight and one half inches. Have you ever heard of this? Four feet eight and one half inches. Like that's the standard U.S. standard railroad gauge. Four feet eight and one. That's like that's an odd number. And who decided that? And why aren't they wider? So. I found out that the reason they are is because the first trains were actually built in England, and the American railroads were, were uh, built uh, to fit the locomotives that were manufactured by an English railroad pioneer named George Stevenson. So George Stevenson built his locomotives to fit tracks that were, by U.S. measurement, 4 feet 8 and half inches. So okay, that's why U.S. railroads are built that way because it, you got to build the rails at the width for the train that's going to run on. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know this is early Sunday morning, but just follow <laughs> this heavy logic and you know, take you on here for a little bit. Well, then my next question was, well, why did the English adopt that particular gauge? Like, why did they build their trains? And I found out that before the railroad in England, there were these tramways, and so the tools and gauges and measurements used to build the first railroads in northern England by George Stevenson, and that was in northern England in the coal district where they started building trains. Well, he this is where Stevenson began his career. Well, those tramways, they, their wheel base was, by U.S. measurement, 4 feet 8 and 1 half inches. So they used the same tools and standards, et cetera, to build the first trains back with these tramways in northern England. Okay, thy next question was, why were the tramways four feet eight and one half inches, (laughs) the rails apart? Can you see I bothered my mother a lot growing up? (laughs) Anyway, well, they were locked into that gauge because of uh, building these, first these horse drawn tramways, but then that was based on these, and these are their early rails, it was actually based on wagons. Because the same tools and measurements and gauges they used to build those early tramways were the same ones they used to build wagons a century before that. So, okay, the wagon wheels were four feet eight and one-half inches apart, and that's why the tramway was, that's why the railroads... We're going back a long time now, and nothing's ever changed. So the question is, why were the wagon wheels four feet eight and one-half inches apart? Anybody know the answer to that? Well, because the ruts in the roads... We're four feet, eight and one half inches apart. <laughs> well, how did the ruts in the roads become four feet, eight and one half inches apart? Well, the first roads in Europe were built by who? Romans. The Romans. Yeah. Now we're going back a long ways. Now, nobody can prove this next connection, but everybody kind of speculates this must be. Because why would you build a wagon whose wheels don't fit the ruts? So you take this clear back to the Romans who built the early roads for their, for their soldiers... It goes back to a Roman chariot. Roman chariots' wheels were four feet eight and one half inches apart. Ta-da! Why were the Roman chariot wheels four feet eight and one half? Because of a horse's rear end. So modern railroads today in the 21st century the width of the tracks which does not make sense for the weight and the speed of the train goes clear back to a roman horse's rear end and it doesn't stop there why is the space shuttle's booster rockets that width when bigger ones would have been better because a company in utah was building those booster rockets and they had to transport them on trains to get down to Florida to put on the, you know, to Houston to Florida. So the rockets, and they had to go through this tunnel. <laughs> now the tunnel was built just big enough for the trains to get through, so those fuel rockets had to fit through these tunnels. <laughs> So the rockets on the space shuttle are based on the rear ends of horses. <laughs> now, what's the point of all of this? I'm hoping you'll remember this message today. He's the guy that talked to, preached on a horse's rear end. You know? <laughs> well, here's the point. In over 2,000 years, why didn't somebody think to change this? Yeah. Nobody did. And here's the point. We can just go on and on in our life without really changing. At some point, we've got to recognize our need to change. And at some point, we've got to decide to change. Otherwise, our space travel will be based on a horse's rear end. Right? <laughs> I want to tell you just one more story before I give you my last couple of points here. There's, um, I don't know about you, but I like Levi's actually, you know, wear a pair of jeans right now, but how many like Levi's? Okay, they're cool jeans. Well, back in the 1800s, when Levi's, you know, were making jeans for real cowboys, the 501s were the first pair of jeans. They were a little different back then than they are now. Uh, Anybody ever had any 501s? Okay, 501s. Well, back then, the garments were held together at key points by brass rivets. Now jeans are not always made with brass rivets, but there was a syndrome known as hot rivet syndrome. The original 501s, the key rivet, and I'll try to speak of this tastefully, but the key rivet in the jeans was right in the crotch. And when cowboys would sit around the campfire, (laughs) if they weren't careful, occasionally, that rivet would get really hot. And all of a sudden... You'd see a cowboy dancing around the fire. <laughs> it was called hot rivet syndrome. <laughs> now this continued until this continued for decades. Until I wrote down the year here, 1933. Walter Hass, who the School of Business at Stanford is named after this guy, but he was the CEO of Levi Strauss Company. He's wearing a pair of 501s on a camping trip up in Yosemite. They're sitting around the campfire, and all of a sudden, he, the president of the company, falls victim to hot rivet syndrome. (laughs) And he's, ah, you know, he's dancing around the fire, and everybody's kind of trying not to laugh because he's the CEO, you know, and it's all the execs that are with him, you know. And he turns to these guys and a couple of guys that were their guides, you know, a couple of cowboys there wore Levi's all the time, you know, and he said to them, what does this happen often? the cowboys say, yeah, it happens all the time. He went right back and had a board meeting and they changed it and took that, that rivet out of the pants. <laughs> do we have to wait for hot rivet syndrome before we change? I'd say make a decision now to change. The CEO is saying, let's change things. And what should we do? We should be open to change whatever God wants us to change amen, amen. you can't just decide to change you got to deal with your resistance like what keeps me from changing <clears throat> excuse me this is a good thing to ask the holy spirit holy spirit what is it that keeps me from changing would you deal with that resistance that i have towards change the next thing we need to harness motivations we need to harness motivations like sometimes you don't have the motivation to change so you need to borrow the motivation from another motivation that you have. I had a student who came to the school and didn't have a didn't have a very good GPA to get into college, but he seemed really called to ministry. And so I said, okay, we'll give it a try. So he comes and I, I sat down with him. I said, why, why don't you like to study? He says, I don't like books. I just like people. Well, that's cool. I mean, God called you to serve people. It's good that you love people. He says, I'd just rather spend my time with people. I don't like reading books. I said, well, then how are you going to motivate yourself to study? Because what you're going to study in these books is really relevant to your ministry. And he says, I don't know. I, I I don't like to study. I don't like books. I just like people. So I suggested to him, why don't you borrow some of your motivation for people for the books? Why should you study the books? Because you love people. Do you want to have any answers for people? Do you want to be able to change anybody's life? Do you want to just hand them a Kleenex or do you want to give them a Bible answer? He was like, uh, yeah, I really do want to make a difference in people's lives. I really want to help them. I said, then study books for people. He didn't have any book motivation, but he had people motivation. You know what? He got straight A's. Because he he borrowed motivation that he already had to apply to something that he didn't have motivation for. Everybody follow that? Mm-hmm. And We can ask the Holy Spirit to coach us with this. The next one is, don't let Satan use your good desires against you. Sometimes when we're not changing or we're not changing fast enough and we get discouraged and Satan comes and beats us up and condemns us like, yeah, you're a poor excuse of a Christian and you you haven't changed yet and all that. By the way, Satan's condemnation wouldn't work if he didn't care. Mm -hmm. And what he does is if he can't get you to go blow your life on sin and vice, he'll try to turn your good desires against you. Mm-hmm. And you have a good desire to please God and serve God and bless people and make a difference in other people's lives. And then he'll come and show you like how far you you have to go and discourage you by that. Mm-hmm. The fact that you even care about not doing better is proof that you want to do better. Mm-hmm. So don't let him turn those good desires against you. You know, when the devil comes and says, you know, you, you haven't grown that much. You know, you just say, hey, I've grown, I've already starting to grow and I'm going to grow more. You watch this and you just plug into the Lord. You don't listen to him. You don't let him turn your good desires against you. They're cooking popcorn. It's time to finish. Here we go. Number six, set realistic goals. If you're going to try to change, start with small Baby steps, you know, just start small because success breeds success. Do something, set a goal that you think you can reach, then set another one, stay on it. The next, I have two more points here. One is get some help. If you're having a hard time figuring out how to change, get some coaching. Find somebody else who's changed in that area and say, how did you do that? It's okay to get help because we're here to help each other. And my last point, number seven, is keep trying until something works. The only way you won't change is if you give up. Because God won't give up on you. Right. He wants to help you change. He wants you to become a brand new person in Him. He died on the cross for it. He sent His Holy Spirit for it. it. He gave you the Bible. He's given you a church family of people who care about you. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Bible. It's like we've got the power that created the universe out of nothing.